0: Win-win may not be. Supporters place their bets on the casino move campaign and the rear view of the swine flu. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle
1: studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Reginald Fields, Statehouse Bureau Chief for the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Lindsay Teeter, reporter for The Other Paper. Michael Daniels, co-publisher of Outlook Media. And Leah Sellers, professor at Ohio Northern College of Law.
0: Some members of the Columbus School Board are not so sure win-win is still a win. Win-win is the deal worked out 24 years ago where some residents of Columbus go to suburban school districts. It was established when Columbus was annexing land and it allowed residents of those areas to stay in their suburban school districts. In return, those districts pay the city of Columbus schools about $6 million a year. Now some members of the school board want to know if that's still a good deal. Michael Daniels, is this
2: still a good deal or should we start to phase it out? I I think that's what we don't know and I think that's why some members of the school board said It's been in place for 24 years, it auto renews every so often. Let's take a look at how much money we're getting, how many students would be involved, what would happen if we weren't to renew it. Um, Do I think that they're not going to renew win-win? Absolutely not, it would cost four years worth of legal battles and be a complete mess. What they might be able to do though, is if they get this cost analysis, they may be able to say that number needs to be closer to eight or ten million dollars a year that we're getting from the other districts, not just 6.2. So I think it's smart for the school board to do the analysis and maybe use that as leverage.
1: That's right, Michael. I agree. They have leverage until May 31st, I believe is the the uh, renewal date, and uh, that, at that time, then uh, then they will, I agree with you, will definitely renew. Um, but, but right now, 54,000 homes in this uh, win-win area are in upheaval. These people are really worried about what's going to happen, and we need some certainty on this issue
0: why it's we're, we're about a month away from this automatic renewal why why didn't we ask for these numbers a year ago
3: it's a good question It kind of makes you wonder what these school board members were thinking and whether it was a situation where the media sort of took that suggestion and ran with it or i don't know i've i've sat through school board meetings and sometimes you know it can take up to 4 hours to determine you know if you want to consolidate a couple of school buses but to, as she said to you know, throw fifty thousand households in the mix, you know, up in the air. It's just if, kind of irresponsible. If I were going
2: to do this analysis, the last thing I'd want is for it to be out there in the court of public opinion for a year. I think that doing this, thirty days may be a little short. You know, sixty, ninety days makes a lot of sense. You can, you can get people's attention because you know that you've got a fairly short window to do this. Um, you get the analysis back, um, and I think it gives you even a, a maybe a little bit more leverage. It may be slightly uncomfortable for the folks who are in the suburban districts. Um, but I think in the long haul that CCS may end up getting more money, money out of this. But I wouldn't have brought it up a year ago. Can you imagine that's the only thing that we would have heard about in the school board election last year?
0: Yeah, but if they're losing, if they're leaving $6 million on the table, is that fiscally responsible not to look at it every year?
1: Well, that $6 million is based on the property values yeah. in those suburban school districts. Yeah. So once those districts, or the, when those houses were tr- or transferred to Columbus, I think you'd see those values going down.
0: And plus, while you look at the, it's really kind of simple math, although it's more complicated because you look at $6,000 per student in state aid which goes to the suburban districts and not to Columbus. Mm-hmm. If they would absorb those districts, presumably that money would go to Columbus and not to, say, Dublin or Westerville. But kids are going to leave, they're not going go to private schools, they're going to move to Westerville. So it's not as simple as it seems. But what if these numbers show that the Columbus stands to make an extra $4 million. Should we make another $4
2: million? Then I think that that the Columbus City schools go back to the suburban schools and say, we'll meet you halfway. Um, The numbers say we should be getting $10 million a year. We really don't want to go through the upheaval and the legal battles of three or four years to make all this happen, but we we think that the money's deserved, so guess what? We'll split the difference with you.
3: Wasn't it announced today that they had more than 113 layoffs, and that might be due to losing students. So, yeah, there's nothing wrong with running the numbers, for sure.
0: Do you think win-win will ever go away? Some districts have backed out of it, sort of quietly, Reynoldsburg being one. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it was in place at a time of rapid growth, put in place at a time of rapid growth. That growth has slowed or stopped. Do we need win-win forever?
2: As long as the schools are still funded with property taxes, yeah, probably. Probably.
0: Politically difficult to undo. Yes. (laughs) In the long run. Okay, let's get to our next topic. Ohio is set to spend $25 million on something that may never happen. A panel of state lawmakers voted to spend the federal stimulus money to study the feasibility of restoring passenger rail service between Ohio's big cities. It was a party-line vote with a one-vote margin, Now ODOT and its consultants will try to answer skeptics who say 3C passenger rail will be too slow, too inconvenient, and too expensive. Reggie Fields, why do I get the feeling no matter what this study says, this is gonna be a tough
4: sell? It's gonna be a tough sell because the, the $25 million was, was passed on a majority vote. And later down the line, if we're gonna access the rest of the money for the rail plan, it's gonna be a supermajority is gonna be needed. And that was the big fight this week, was was whether or not a supermajority was even needed for the money to uh, to, to issue a study. And so uh, by going with this, this party line vote over this issue is it's completely uh, pushed the Republicans and Democrats on the controlling board even further apart. It's going to make it much more difficult later on down the line to access the rest of the money, uh, regardless almost of what this, this study shows e- e- eventually.
0: Bill Harris said he was extremely disappointed that Governor Strickland was violating the spirit of the agreement mm-hmm. and possibly the law. Has there been talk of any legal challenge to what the controlling board did this week because of that supermajority versus simple majority question?
4: There have been threats of uh, uh, legal challenges. There were certainly legal challenges uh, were raised on, on the day of the vote itself uh, by several members um, or uh, in a, uh, Republicans who are on a controlling board. has suggested such. There are uh, conservative groups who have since said that they would do something. Nothing has emerged at this point. It uh, doesn't mean that it won't. Um, but at this point, the money has been approved, and, and my understanding is they're starting to spend it already. So.
1: there's there's more than just partisanship I think behind the the opposition uh there's a lot of data supporting the adage that these kinds of mega projects the project costs always exceed the estimates and that the the, uh, the, the revenues are always less than than people expect um, but one big problem with this uh, that 's more recently uh, been come to light is the issue with the uh, consultant involved with the twenty five million dollar uh, first piece. I mean, this is the same consultant uh, British owned now. That uh, was involved in the Big Dig out in Boston. So this consultant served as did consulting design, and I believe even some engineering in the Big Dig project, the arterial highway in Boston. Uh, original estimates for that project, two point eight billion, came in at fourteen billion in uh, you know required taxpayer dollars. So there's data that that shows that that we. We, uh, there's reason to be skeptical about this
0: project. Some of that inflation was, some of that cost over it was caused by inflation, but it certainly was triple yes. or quadruple the original estimates. Are um, Republicans, when they c- they claim this is the Democrats should be bipartisan sh- about this? What's the bipartisan solution?
2: Hmm. <laughs> Dead silence <laughs> at, the entire, <laughs> at the entire table. Right. Um, Just build it well,
3: halfway to. From, from Cincinnati to Columbus. And, I, 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 <laughs> and I, think
2: that's, I think that this whole call for bipartisanship is what you always hear from the minority, depending upon wherever it happens to be, whether it's the controlling board. Um, you hear it in the Ohio House, the Republicans saying the Democrats need to be more bipartisan. You walk across the hallway, and in, this, in the Ohio Senate, the Democrats say the Republicans need to be more bipartisan. So basically, I think that's what you say when you lose.
4: Well, I think if, if you do want to uh, try to build some consensus on this, I think the study is needed to answer some of the questions that are still out there. I mean, there are questions about the average speed, whether or not it's going to be too slow to go from Cleveland down to Cincinnati. If you can drive it faster in a vehicle, then why is the train even needed? The other thing is, is we still don't know, uh, as, as you were alluding to, how much is it all going to cost, ultimately? Yeah. We're talking about $400 million here, which, what, $375 million will be remaining after this study. and we we know that uh, to put this train in place it's going to cost more than that so so what sort of subsidies you know are we as i don 't know passengers if, if you 're on air is it going to be you know uh, extra you know subsidies on the tickets that we purchase? we don't know these answers so in that regard I believe the Republicans are asking uh, many of the correct questions at this point we need to get those answers and if you answer those questions then maybe you, you'll start to get some more consensus when the the big vote comes later.
0: Lindsay are they ever going to trust those answers
4: given right, what Leah said and the, so yeah, and the questions not, about the firm?
3: Not only they have you know the words big dig now thrown in there and that's never good for PR and and additionally you know they would have to, the Democrats who are, who are proponents of this, would have to ke- keep control of the governor's seat, um, you know, otherwise, and convince a Republican ultimately to vote for this. And I just, it's a long way away from now, but I don't know if nine months is, is enough time to, to get that done.
0: I'm always, I always ask this question when we have this discussion. Why does rail generate so much yeah. scrutiny? We are spending, uh, the state, federal money, however you want to parse it out, is spending $5.5 million in central Ohio, for sound walls mm-hmm. to keep the sound, three decibels of sound, away from the neighborhoods from the highway. Nobody's questioning that. Now, if we're spending five and a half million, you know, Cleveland's spending five and a half million. Cincinnati's spending mm-hmm. five and a half million. There's 15 million. That's a year of tra- train service.
3: That's a, that's a part of the double standard, I think, when it comes to transportation infrastructure. We don't even look at headlines that talk about how much we spend on highways. but. Uh, yeah, every dollar that goes to trains is, is is looked at. It's and people people get get angry about it, and I think that's part of the reason. You know, when public public officials are are proactive on this, then they rarely are successful.
4: It's kind of a shame. I mean, yeah. it's political also. I mean, mm-hmm. it's uh, we're talking all this money that's coming from the federal government. It, it's you know the whole program is sort of. Um, politically tainted as it is, we're in an election year. I mean, it's it's rife with all of those sort of issues as well. So.
1: One other problem is that cost projections always are higher for rail projects than than uh, highway projects. There's a Danish study, for example, where this Danish academic said that rail projects come in over budget more frequently than highway projects do.
0: But the big dig came in over budget. That's true. Do you definitely. think the volcano, one more quick question on this, Michael, let me ask you. The volcano, which disrupted air travel in Europe for a good week or so, focused a lot of attention on the rail system in Europe and how great it was. It was overcrowded because of the demand. but Right.
2: Might and that help? The, and the rail system in Europe is great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Europe has um, you know, a lot smaller streets, a lot older streets. Um, And I think that, you know, rail made a lot of sense because have you ever tried to drive from Paris to Milan, for instance? I mean, nobody wants to do that. You want to get on a train. You don't care if it takes two extra days. Um, We're not there in the States yet, but in some of the cities, you've got to start taking a look at whether we can continue to build the kind of infrastructure. We've got freeways. uh, I used to live in Los Angeles, and we've got freeways that were built to handle traffic in the 40s. There's nowhere else to build, and there's no way to, to move more cars on this freeway. So we're going to be approaching that, that European place where our freeway system just isn't going to hold up, and there's got to be some sort of an alternative.
4: Those Good. trains are a lot faster, too, over there. Yeah. They are. <laughs> they are. <laughs> That's the
2: thing. High speed gets wide support, but the regular
0: speed or low speed doesn't. In our campaign 2010 roundup, John Kasich and Ted Strickland continued to attract big bucks. The primary f- for U.S. Senate between Jennifer Bruner and Lee Fisher still lacks excitement, and questions of race emerge in a state Senate primary in Columbus. Leah Sellers, indications are that the race between Lee Fisher and Jennifer Bruner is still very close. Mm-hmm. Who are Republicans voting uh, rooting for?
1: That's a good question. Uh, I'm a Republican, and I'm rooting for Jennifer Bruner. And why, why is that so? Because I love underdogs. She's a great underdog. She's a classic underdog. She has a lot less money, uh, and I think if the Democratic faithful look beyond Fisher's TV ads at his record, I mean, he, he's had he has some losses, uh, some significant losses at the state level. Is he is he a viable candidate?
2: And I think Lee is exactly right. As a as a dyed-in-the-wool. Far left of center Democrat. <laughs> um, if I were a Republican, I'd be rooting for Lee Fisher, um, and not because I, not because of the underdog status, but because he's obviously the, easy, the easier candidate to beat in the fall. He's outraised Bruner by, a factor of twenty to one or something, um, and there's still only two or three points apart in the polls. Um, if if that's the case, what's going to happen when you get to the fall election, where Rob Portman has a war chest that's going to rival or probably beat? either the Democrats that's running and how viable is the Fisher candidacy going to be in the fall. So, I mean, I think that uh, people who are looking just past the dollars and are looking at viability are voting Brunner.
0: But you look at what Jennifer Bruner has raised, it's not that much. Can she raise, Reggie, the money to compete with Rob Portman in the fall? Will the national money come in as we all expect and that kind of thing?
4: Well, I mean, that's one of the interesting things about this campaign at this point. I mean. Uh, until probably a couple of weeks ago, it, it wasn't too much, you know, not, not too contentions between the two, but they've obviously turned up the rhetoric and one of the complaints that she is making is that she's not been able to raise money because she's accused um, Lee Fisher of using this connection to the governor to sort of um, win, um, I guess, donations for himself and, and lock her out. She says that those donations will come in. As, and meanwhile, uh, Fisher is now, you know, he's trading barbs with her. And so I think it's pretty obvious that uh, we must be in the last couple of weeks here of the primary. So. But
2: the answer to the question is yes. The money will come in. I mean, the, the DSCC. Um, I mean, Harry Reid has given the nod to Lee Fisher, and so when you look at those kinds of things, that money is going to pour into the Fisher camp. If Bruner wins the primary, um, I, yeah, that that money will start flowing to Bruner, and it doesn't matter who's cut off what from who. The the, the whole goal will be to take Voynovich's seat and turn it blue.
0: Well, Fisher's supporters, Lindsey jump to Bruner's side, should she win?
3: Um, there's always hurt feelings, I think, at the end of these things, but ultimately, yeah, when it comes to batter having a Republican in the seat, I think they definitely and, and, will.
4: Yeah, I'm sorry, and Lee yeah. Fisher has actually already said that he will endorse mm-hmm. uh, Jennifer Bruner should she win, um, so, I and I take him at his word, I think he'll absolutely do it, because one thing they have to remember, and one of the reasons why they've sort of pulled back to this point is because they can't dirty each other up too much because someone still has to move forward in November going against a very strong Republican candidate. Right.
0: The other interesting thing that's developed in the past couple of weeks is the Ohio 15th District Senate race. It's the district now held by Ray Miller. There are three Democrats running against each other, Dan Stewart, Chalita Tavares, and Oyangos Snell. Uh, Tavares and Snell are black. Dan Stewart is white. The seat has been occupied by an African-American for almost 20 years, there's some feeling that it should remain in African-American hands. How does this play out? Dan Stewart's a well-known quantity it, in that district.
1: It can remain in African-American's hands if people vote for Republican Alicia Healy. She's an African-American conservative <laughs> who would bring a lot to the Black Caucus, I'd say. Okay.
2: I, uh, Leah, that was cute. I like that Thank you for doing that um, i mean i think I think it 's interesting and I think I mean, I totally understand the the legislative black caucus wanting to keep the number of African Americans they have um, I, I think that what crossed people the wrong way was kind of the tone of that message the way it came out, or maybe maybe it was just the dispatch 's spin on it but it it came across as incumbent Senator Miller saying basically that he doesn't feel like a white person can adequately represent black constituents, and I think that's a huge mistake to make in a central Ohio district. Um, it's been an African American seat for 20 years, but it was held by, by Rick Pfeiffer before that. So is, that, is it true that a white person can't represent a black person? That kind of race particularly in what is with all due respect to, to Ms. Healy um, a hands down Democratic district is I think kind of unnecessary at this point, but it was. It, it didn't really surprise many of us. It was just the latest in a string of really stupid things that Ray Miller has said.
0: Legislative Black Caucus, Reggie, how strong is that on at the, the state house? Do they would they be hurt if they lost a member?
4: Um, I think they are very strong. I mean, they're they're a voice there, and they do have. Uh, a, a strong voice within um, the State House yeah. uh, when they organize themselves to do so. I mean, they're not always speaking from one voice, which is usually their problem. So when they are organized and they are speaking from one voice, I, th- I think they do, um, they command attention within a State House. And so losing one person, I mean, sure, they don't want to lose anyone, but again, it's it's really a matter of unity within that particular caucus um, when it comes to the State House. And
3: also I think by maybe making that endorsement, you also um, shut out other black candidates and hurt other black candidates, so there's sort of an unintended consequence, I think, um, by endorsing Charlita.
0: Charlita Tavares, Columbus City Councilwoman, also very, very good vote-getter, and Mm -hmm. so it should be. But there's some fear that the two African-American candidates would split the vote. And I think if
2: you look at the core constituencies on the Democratic side in the Ohio Fifteenth, I think the the fear is that Snell Tavares will split the Black vote, that Tavares Stewart will split the gay vote, and that Stewart Snell will split the will split the more conservative white Democrat voter. So um, all of the constituencies are going to split because, quite frankly, from a Democratic standpoint, there are three pretty darn good candidates all running for the same thing. Not a bad thing to to have, <laughs> right? We now know officially who
0: is funding the Move the Casino campaign. It's the casino owners and the businesses who don't want it as its neighbor. The Yes on Issue 2 committee filings show that as of mid-April, they had raised $2.5 million. Nearly half of that money has come from Penn National Gaming. The other big donors, AEP. Nationwide realty investors and the owners of the Columbus Dispatch, Wolf Enterprises, have all, all given about a half million dollars. They're all neighbors or they are businesses with investments in the arena district. Lindsey Teeter, no surprise there.
3: No surprise there. I don't know. I, I thought that, um, you know, talking to this campaign earlier on a couple weeks ago, I was surprised that the numbers were were lower. I was looking at something more you know in the six four five six million dollar range and i don 't know if that 's at the time it seems that you know the corporate interests um, and the casino folks weren 't on the same page as far as who 's going to fund this um, and how the campaign 's going to be run and I think those numbers that have come out sort of sort of back that up and it's Bob, kind of yeah it Bob Tenenbaum
0: from the campaign has said he expects it to be around four when this is all done this was the mid april figure so mm-hmm. there 's more coming more money coming in but until we see it, the, it's all pledges. As Mike Curtin, who was a leading supporter, right. said, it's pledges like we get in public radio or public TV.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think it's going to take um, a very strong effort um, to get this thing passed. Um, quite mm-hmm. frankly, you know, the ballot language is clear, and maybe I don't know the opponent or the proponents of this. If if you see, you know, you don't. Um, if that's all you know about the campaign, that might be better, because if you start you know, figuring out more, then you might ask more questions.
0: <laughs> Let's take a look at the ad, because this goes right to Lindsay's point. This is the ad that's running statewide, pushing for the casino move.
4: Ohio has said yes to building four casinos, yes to creating 34,000 jobs, and keeping one billion of Ohio's dollars in Ohio by voting yes on issue two. The Columbus Casino has moved to a better location and built more quickly, allowing every county in the state to get their share of $643 million in tax revenue sooner and providing Ohio an $11 billion economic boost sooner. Moving Ohio forward faster. Vote
0: yes on Issue 2. Three messages. Jobs, money quick, and it doesn't change anything. Pretty simple.
4: Yeah, but, you know, I, I do think that they have a different challenge outside the city of Columbus. I mean, I, I, they've certainly got everyone's attention here in the city of Columbus. But beyond it, especially up in the Northeast Ohio area, uh, there are a lot of people who, who aren't even aware yet that issue two is on a ballot and what exactly is it asking for them to, to, to do. So I think uh, if they can get the message out, if they can educate people and let them know why they're voting yet again on another casino issue just five months later, then then they should be okay. But they've got a
2: challenge on their hands outside and of Columbus. I think that's a big mistake of the of the yes on two campaign is not educating it na- statewide because traditionally if people don't know enough about an issue they vote no
0: they are running these ads and they mostly they figure another two million dollars goes to the to the ad campaign let's get to our last topic remember swine flu it was one year ago this week that it first surfaced in mexico and the southwestern u.s and the panic soon followed people avoided mexican restaurants swine farmers pushed for a name change In this fall, health officials went all out to fight the H1N1 virus. They predicted there was no immunity and there could be up to 100,000 deaths in the U.S. The elderly, pregnant women and young mothers stood in line for hours waiting for the vaccine. The federal government spent hundreds of millions of dollars a year later. 2,100 deaths, 2% attributed to the swine flu. Michael Daniels, did health officials overreact or did their hype prevent
2: a large outbreak I think health officials probably reacted pretty well I think we in the media may have been responsible for overreacting a little bit hyping it up um, and I think this is one of those cases where if you're a government official you think gosh we don't want to cry wolf too often um, but is it better to get people standing in line for four hours to get a vaccine against something that turns out to be not deadly, or is it better, or, or bet the other way? Ah, it's not going to be that bad, and then have it turn into a real pandemic. If if they're going to err on one side or the other, I'd rather they err on the side of being too cautious.
0: Leah, is there a danger in crying wolf? We all know what happened in that story.
1: Oh, that's right. And and uh, just last week, a study came out uh, from Pew that said pretty much people don't trust government. And I think it's, it's errors like this that make people suspicious of uh, policy decisions made by at the upper levels of government.
0: Now, the, the health officials have argued that, you know, maybe even though only 40% of the vaccine has been used in Ohio, there's, there's still 60% left un, unused, the H1N1, that they by that, that small amount of folks who are vulnerable, they stopped the spread early on. People were washing their hands, oh. coughing into their sleeve and things like that. Lindsay did... Did it help do you think keep it down
3: uh, I don't know I personally you know I'm kind of comforted by the fact that there's someone out there panicking about these sort of things and telling me when I need to wash my hands and getting the, the the public interest generated for sure but there are you know economic consequences we want that we want them to be over prepared but we don't necessarily want to pay for it um, but I think I you know I'd rather that report that s- more than half the vaccines were still available yeah. so maybe we weren't panicked enough. I
0: don't know. Yeah, well, I think people saw that it wasn't going to be that big a deal and didn't get the vaccine. Let's get to our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel. Final thoughts, predictions for the weeks ahead. Leah Sellers, you're up first.
1: Yeah, that Pew study I just mentioned, 22 percent, only 22 percent of the uh, U.S. population says they trust government. And uh, when I read the results of the study, I got reminded by uh, of what Uh, presidential candidate Barry Goldwater wrote back in the 60's he said his aim is not to pass laws but repeal them not to inaugurate new programs but cancel the old ones and um, he was pretty anti-government guy a libertarian so there's this conservative I think insurgency in uh, in, among the population and um, conservatism is back in style Um, I think the Republican Party will take advantage of this and and have big wins in the fall
2: Michael? Um, I think that CONSERVATIVISM is back in style, but I think it's gone perhaps too far to the right in a variety of different ways. And I think that costs John Husted the primary on May 4th. I think he loses.
0: Okay. Okay. Lindsay.
3: I'm going to disagree with that. I think Mm -hmm. Husted pulls it off, but I think um, who might have a better chance is Seth Morgan, who's running against Dave Yost. I'm going to predict a win for him.
4: (laughs) And Reggie. um, I'll stick with the primary talk. uh, boring but competitive uh, U.S. Senate uh, race on the Democratic side, and I think Lee Fisher will will be Jennifer Bruner.
0: Okay. And my final thought, like the casino hopes to, we're moving not to the west side but to 8.30 Friday nights starting May 7th. We'll be on at 8.30 as WOSU and PBS unveil a new news program, Need to Know. Our Sunday morning time stays the same, and this all starts in two weeks, not next week. We go to 8.30. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. Check out our website. There you can get a preview of our topics, streaming videos. You can watch the show whenever you want. link to our Facebook page and also a link to our blog. All of that at WOSU.org slash COTR. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.